this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 3, um, just most of this series is kind of a continuation, you know, if we cover this passage, it's next. Uh, just a quick little plug in case you don't, uh, you haven't noticed it in the On the Journey email, which if you're not getting the email, give us your email address on a little info card. But uh, on the On the Journey email, uh, we're going to start adding at the bottom, just for your reference, the text that we'll be preaching. Um, so a couple things that hold, holds us accountable, not to make you happy, but to do honor to the text, just because we know that you guys are reading, you're studying, I think, a pastor should know the word, and I think every believer should know the word, right? Um, and so we get the chance just to say our opinions about it is really the only difference. And we have a microphone on Sundays. But, um, but for your I would encourage you to, to know the text and to study it and to come ready um, and, and to receive. Uh, I always say every sermon lands, it's either a conviction, which is kind of the, the dirt. We don't like to talk about that, right? But some sermons are convicting. Some are encouraging. The truth for you that day is encouraging. Uh, and others are, are challenging, where we go, man, I'm up for it, but I know I need this kind of a deal. And so uh, whatever the sermon is, I think the sermon is for you on Sunday, but for you to come prepared and, and have, have read the text. Um, and I know many of you guys are reading a lot anyways, but just a, a plug in case you don't see that, I haven't noticed that in the email. Um, my mom is here today. So Teresa Bailey, raise your hand. This is my mom. I love my mom. Um, clap for my mom. She deserves it. Uh, she is, naturally speaking, you know, clearly the most influential person in terms of uh, me uh, going to church and appreciating church and, and knowing the Bible or, and learning to love the Bible, and eventually, again, naturally speaking, uh, learning to love Jesus. So uh, thank you, Mom, for all of that. Um, just in terms of my mom, uh, Jesus is about to talk, to about, uh, talk about his mom, so we kind of planned this visit on purpose. Just kidding. This kind of just happened uh, where she was like, I'm coming up that weekend, uh, or she asked us probably, and I said, well, that's convenient because Jesus is talking about moms and can be here as my mom and it won't be awkward at all. Um, but the reality is uh, Jesus is about to, to kind of redefine uh, family. And he's about to redefine his relationship with his mom. And in truth is, uh, and there might be, some of you guys might not be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Some of you guys might be on the spectrum where you're a little bit closer to kind of kicking the tires on it. And you're going, man, I'm giving this church thing a shot. I'm giving this God thing a shot. Uh, and, and today I'm really sensitive to those of you who may not be believers this morning, because uh, if my mom weren't a believer, this text would be pretty awkward. Uh, it might be offensive to her. It might be uh, really awkward for me as I present the, the black and white truth in, in Scripture. Um, so I thought of just a way to kind of take the edge off, and that would be a Dr. Seuss book. Um, so this book is called Are You My Mother? Okay. And uh, no book like this is complete without pictures, okay? So just as I, as I prompt you, you can kind of scroll through some of the pictures of the story. We're going to hit the highlights, um, and hopefully this book has been around for about 614 years. Uh, so hopefully this isn't brand new to you, but maybe you've read it as a kid or it was read to you. Uh, maybe you've, you've read it to your kid, uh, but this is a book about a tiny little bird, and this story will kind of thumb through some of the pictures, but uh, we have a tiny little bird who is, who is uh, in... Um, uh, is in the shell, okay, has not yet been born or hatched, and the mom, uh, caring for her bird, uh, her baby bird, wants to have a fresh worm ready whenever it hatches. So this is the mom, and she's flying away, and, and as fate would have it, uh, the second she leaves the nest, the baby bird hatches, okay? And as you do when you're a baby, uh, you begin searching for your mom, um, and so it like it does. It's a baby bird. Hold on it just real quick. Uh, as it searches, it kind of looks around, then it starts taking steps, and it doesn't know it can't fly. So it 
falls, and as it falls, it hits the ground, probably bruised up. It still continues its search. We'll call it a hymn, because I'm just going to revert to that anyways. Uh, The baby bird's a boy. Uh, He begins searching for his mom, okay? Uh, On his search for his mom, every animal, and and toward the end of the story, every um, object that he passes, he's, he's wondering, are you my mom? So he, he inquires to everything and every, every you know, animal that it passes, are you my mother, right? So he passes a dog. I think there's a hen and a cat, uh, and we'll kind of just skip forward from there. And kind of as he, after all these interactions, he come across, comes across this massive, uh, like, front-end loader-looking thing. And uh, the, the noise it makes as it releases this huge plume of, of exhaust is snort. So the baby bird calls this thing snort. You're snort. Hey, snort, are you my mom? Are you my mother? Um, and so it obviously is a man-made object. It does not bark or speak back. The dog doesn't talk, but the cat does. Or no, the dog cat talks, but the cat doesn't, which anyways, I won't go there. Um, but just kidding. But being a man-made object doesn't talk back, but it makes a noise. It kind of associates it as another animal. Um, but it, it lifts up the bird, scoops up the bird from the ground. And then interestingly enough, uh, this, this man is a precision, precision like uh, a front end loader operator, dumps the bird precisely back into the nest that it was born in, uh, to, to which the mom came back to and had a fresh worm like nothing had ever happened. And the little bird says, are you my mother? Uh, matter of fact, I don't even think he had to ask the question because it was obvious with the exception of the little head thing because uh, it, it could tell you've got a beak, I got a beak, like we look the same. Uh, this finally makes sense toward the end and you have to be my mom. It gets a fresh worm. Story ends happily ever after, right? Uh, this story uh, the, the silliness of it, what makes it worth reading, reasons to kids' stories, because it's, it's silly. This uh, comes from how obvious it is that the, the bird is its mom, and throughout the whole rest of the, the front end of the book, how, how obvious it is that the cat is not its mom, and the dog is not its mom. Even uh, a young child at a really young age, early age, can, can laugh along with this book because it's ridiculous that a, that a dog would be the mom of a, do- of a, of a bird, a baby a little bird. It's like ridiculous. But the silliness, um, it, it, it kind of paints this picture of, of a baby bird knowing what to look for in his mom. Um, and, and he has this, this total disregard of what all these other animals look like, and, and, and not distracted in, in the slightest, it still proceeds to ask, are you my mother? Uh, it almost doesn't know. You get the, 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 the impression that the bird has no idea what it looks like, so why would he care what the other animals looks like. He just wants to find his mom. Um, Jesus is about to uh, redefine, like I said, uh, mother and sister and brother and family. And, and here's a hint that we take from this kid's book is it's, it's not as natural as, as one might think. And it might leave us in a position like the bird, uh, silly enough throughout the book, asking uh, people that we come in contact with that don't look anything like us the question, are you my mother? So what's silly in the book might actually be our case spiritually. If you have your Bible, Mark 3, uh, verse 31 through 35, it says this. And his mother, Jesus, and his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother, they kind of passed this message through the crowd. Your mother and your brother are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about At those who sat around him, like scanning the room, he said, Here are my mothers, my my mother and my brothers. For whoever, here's the point, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Um, There's a bold statement there before we go any further, though. 
I want us to get on the same page that Jesus loved his mom, okay? We, we have just enough scriptural like reference to kind of get a glimpse into this, um, and, and it's not a lot, but, but it, it, it's enough for us to get this impression. Uh, a couple times in scripture, we see Jesus loved his mom. First, it's at the very beginning of his ministry, and second, is at the very end of his ministry on the cross. So the beginning of his ministry was, we'll call it his first miracle anyways, uh, the wedding in Canaan, right? And Jesus is at a wedding. Uh, they were invited for some reason, and they're just kind of casual attenders, and his mom is there with him. And that the wine runs out, and she, in concern for the, the party as a whole, maybe she knew someone in, in, the, in the bridal party or the, the groom's room himself or whoever, he, she cared about what wine uh, was presented and that there was wine to present. Uh, so she then approaches her miracle-working son, convenient enough. Uh, a lot of your moms, you moms think that your son can do the same. Uh, but so she just almost like instinctively says, hey, will you change uh, this water into wine. I'm going to have these guys go fill up some of these barrels and, and just kind of lickety split, like make it to where none of the good wine ever ran out, right? Like, do your thing, Jesus. Jesus proceeded to, say, to tell her, woman, it's not my time yet. Uh, Jesus would do this so many times throughout scripture to his disciples, to other people who were critical or who were really trying to help him in his ministry uh, get bigger and expand his reach. They said, well, why don't you just claim what you claim and, and, and go here and, and go there and, and make the whole world know about you, right? Jesus would choose to be very private about certain miracles that he worked. And you get this sense as you read through the gospels, he's like, it's not my time. Shh, be quiet. Uh, Jesus is uh, limiting himself to just the natural order of things of how the word spreads. He's God. He could have controlled it somehow, but we get this impression that he controls it. He kind of is really cautious when it comes to the, the word getting around about him, right? And so multiple times we see him tell people, don't tell uh, anyone, just go to the priest and, and, and commit and give him your sacrifice for the fact that God has healed you, right? But he goes and opens his mouth and Jesus is like, oh man. There's another week off my ministry, right? Uh, and Jesus is doing the same thing, but there's an exception with his mom that, that he says, it's not my time, and then I love this picture. I would love to see this created into a movie, this scene. And, and Mary goes, it's not your time, huh? Okay. Hey, servants, just do whatever he asks you. And walks away. Implication, you're going to wise up in a minute, and you're going to go tell these guys to fill up water. You're going to turn it to wine. The party's going to go on, right? And so Jesus, we, the, the story ends with him uh, telling these guys to fill up their basins and him turning water into wine. The, 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 uh, the subtext there is the fact that he honors, he appreciates, he loves his mom. He's trying to honor her, right? At the end of his ministry, we see him on the cross. And I'll just read this interaction, and maybe we've read this before. John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother, this is him on the cross, his mom, and the disciple that he loves on the ground. Okay, this is the end of his ministry, the fruition, the, the culmination of his ministry. And this is how he chooses, this is one of his last final words from the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciple took her into his home. So he, he left this world uh, arranging the security of, of his mom. Are we on the same page now? Jesus loved his mom. We need to know that because it's about to get it's about to feel very different uh, because this, this statement and what he says is actually very, very bold. Um, and he, he, in a sense, downplays the biological family in order to elevate a spiritual family, right? He downplays uh, the world and everyone we know in it that, that does not follow Jesus 
including our biological family, in order to elevate everyone that we know that happens to be a follower of Jesus. This is a difficult text. Uh, in, in, in my words, and I've heard this passed around, there was a blog er, that kind of started this phrase of Jesus juke. I'm curious. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that term, Jesus juke. Good, I'm going to teach you. Uh, Jesus juke is a self-righteous, over-spiritual comment in, in, in intended to make you feel less and me feel more spiritual, okay? So you might hear it like this. Man, I'm tired of fasting and I'm really hungry. To which an over-spiritual uh, Christian says to you, I'm glad Jesus didn't get tired on the cross. And you're like, come on, really? Uh, it might sound like, man, I love that movie, or I love this, or I love that. And that person over-spiritually might say, well, any love uh, you know, of the world means that there's no love of the Father in you. And you're going, are you serious right now? Like, live a little. You're over-spiritualizing something that's known as like a Jesus juke. Okay, that's the, there's the even motions. I'll stop. But you're basically, you're over-spiritualizing a situation, and you're being very self-righteous about it. And it kind of leaves someone like broken ankles, like emotionally, spiritually. You're kind of going, really? I didn't deserve that. Jesus, can Jesus juke because he's Jesus? He can play the Jesus card because he's Jesus. And, and if we really get real with this text, even though it sounds to me like an over-spiritualization, he's actually making a very good point. He seems to be, on the surface, over-spiritualizing the idea of family. Come on, Jesus, like, calm down. That's a little dramatic. She's still your mom. They're still your brothers. Don't you have a certain allegiance and loyalty to them, too? To which he would say, sure, but you see it as over-spiritualizing. I see it as, man, I'm trying to unveil your eyes to something that is so real and so much even bigger than what you see, if you'll let me. So, he actually makes a pretty good point. In my opinion, there, there are three big ideas here in this text. And the third one, we're going to drill down even deeper. If you picture it like an outline, is point one, two, and three. And point three is we're going to unpack even farther, okay? Uh, so the first thing Jesus is doing by this comment, that all those who obey my father are my mother and they're my brothers, right? By that comment, he's doing one thing. The first thing is, he's doing three things. First thing is he puts his biological family in their place. Uh, sounds harsh, but just roll with this for a minute. The first thing he's doing, absolutely, is putting his biological family in their place. Um, Jesus' biological family at the time, many of them were not believers. And many of them were critical. We get the impression still that Mary knew from beginning to end that Jesus was who he says he was. And she was kind of subjected to kind of be guilty by association based on what her brother said and other people close to Jesus, right? And so he was not supported. Uh, he was critiqued by his own family. And here, here are a couple of verses that you may jot down or think about. Verses, uh, verse 21, just a few verses ago, Dave hit on this and kind of cruised past it, knowing that this week we'd kind of unpack it as this is the main point of the sermon. Mark 3, 21, it says, And when his family heard it, what was it? It was the huge crowds uh, following Jesus. He's getting popular. He's working miracles. He's saying some really, really uh, harsh things that draw a line between human and God. And he's, he's claiming authority, and he's getting very popular. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Okay? That's how they feel right now about Jesus. Uh, in John, we kind of jump over to John and get a bigger picture uh, with different Gospels. Uh, John 7, 3 through 5 says, So his brother said to him, this is the height of the criticism when you say prove it, right? They said to him, leave here and go to Judea. None of this Galilee stuff. 
we're just surrounded by fishermen. Go to like the Mecca, the uber religious, where they know what's what. And they've got, they've got bigger influence down there. And if you think you can make it here, and or if you think you can make it there, then go there. If you think you're such a big deal, big fish, small pond, go to a big, big pond and see what you can do. They say, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. They're basically saying, prove it. Uh, another just thing that kind of illuminates this whole uh, situation of him being critiqued and supported by his family. We're going to fast forward into Mark to chapter 6, verse 4. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor. Meaning a prophet gets what he deserves because he's positioned by God, anointed and placed, ordained by God. So he's going to get what he deserves except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. Familiarity can breed contempt. You ever heard that phrase? Familiarity in this case, and this is where it applies to us, and this is where the text is difficult. Familiarity in our biological families, it can keep us from speaking or hearing truth. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there. Familiarity with our biological families can keep us from hearing or speaking truths. Uh, uh, Elijah, baby Elijah, okay? We have Esme and, uh, and Lee who had a baby. And, uh, and here's the deal. They're going to change his diaper uh, so many times to where one day, whenever he grows up and he has a word from God to his parents, or he's preaching on a stage and she's sitting down there in the front row, she's going, hey, don't get smart with me because I changed your diapers. It's like, it's like there's a brick wall called familiarity. I, I know you. You didn't brush your teeth very well when you were younger. Okay, You, you, you should not have been associating with these, these people growing up. I've seen you at your youngest. I've seen you at your worst. Don't even try to play God or preacher to me. And there can be that heart inside of people who know us best, and it can be a brick wall between what they might say from God and how we might be able to just love them. Familiarity can breed contempt. It's a difficult text. Second thing he's doing with this comment, you're my family if you believe. He proclaims boldly that he's God again, okay? Dave said it every week. I've said it every week. Every sermon from this book so far has been Jesus claiming authority and saying that he's God. He's implying, hey, I have the right as God to start a spiritual family. You want to be in my family? Follow me. Know me. Obey me. Because if you obey me, you love me. If you love me, we're family. Jesus is making yet another bold claim that he is God and, 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 and pretending to have the right that he can found a newer, higher family than, than the one you were born into than the ones that did change your diapers, and the ones that, that did feed you and, and care for you and, 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 and nurse uh, broken bones and bruises. It's like they knew you at your youngest and at your worst, and they should be the best ones to take care of you. And we have this loyalty that is so good. We'll end with this in a minute. Loyalty to our biology family is so good, but it can be a blinder to, to, to the new loyalty that Jesus is demanding to Christians. And, and that familiarity in our family can, can breed a sense of uh, contempt, uh, which he begins by, by saying the words, uh, he implies a spiritual family. So one, he is uh, putting his family in their place because unfortunately they needed to be put there. Second of all, he's claiming that he is God. And I think the third big one that he's doing in this text is he's pointing us to a new spiritual family. He's pointing believers to a, a new, and I'll use the word not better, that, that I think that comes across wrong. I'll use the word higher. He's, he's pointing believers to a higher 
family. Romans 8, 14 and 17 says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, that's what makes us family, just so you know, he's going to make this point. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Everybody say adoption. Thank you. As sons and daughters, for whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. I love this. Your brothers and sisters of Christ, and if heirs and co-heirs, uh, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, is where also where we'll end, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Um, what makes us the, the new blood is, is our spirit. Uh, you've heard the term, blood is thicker than water. Water being your close friends even, and a girlfriend when you're, in te- when you're a teenager, right? You're like, it's like almost like, you know, your, your guy friends come before your girlfriends. It's like we have these degrees of commitment to the people in our life, and the, the one that seems to trump them is blood is thicker than water. Well, if blood is thicker than water, even blood has nothing on the spirit that unites believers, that's, that's what he's saying. If blood is thicker than water, your family is more important than everyone. I would say, okay, keep family where it is. I agree it's important. But, but even above there, if you're willing to, to go there, is a commitment, is a unity among believers that's even higher. And I love the word adoption. You are adopted as sons. Uh, my family and I are adopting. You're going to hear hopefully more about that in the future. I would love for more of you to, to tell us that you're adopting. I, the, the, the story of adoption is our story. It's our spiritual story, and I think it's at the core of who God is. This is uh, the picture on the postcard. You'll notice the empty rocking chair on the right. That symbolizes our future daughter, maybe son. Uh, we, we don't know. We're trusting God. But we know that for whatever reason, call us crazy. You can feel free to do that because we think we're crazy sometimes. Uh, but then there's moments where we go, man, we are so confident and so excited. And there's days where we're going, what in the world, right? But ultimately, we know that God's called us to adopt. He's given us his heart for the, the helpless in terms of the orphan. Uh, and so what are you going to do? You're going to adopt, right? And so we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, we need your help, by the way. We'll get there. Uh, but, but just as a picture of adoption, th- this is our postcard, and this is kind of the, the vision of, of us as a family, uh, we're going to fill that chair at some point, and we're going to treat the child that fills that chair exactly like our family. And, and there will be some biological strings missing uh, if you were to look biologically naturally at that picture, and you put a child there, you're going, hold on, there's something not right. But there is a, a bloodline that won't flow to that, that seat on the right, but there is a spirit, there's a spirit that will connect us as a family that blood doesn't matter, and blood will not matter I think adoption is a fantastic picture of, of us as the church. Getting excited. Because here's the deal. When you adopt, here's the implication. The biological family did not have what it needed to meet the needs that you have. That's the implication. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the situation. If there was a mom, a birth mom out there, which, which we pray for, and we, we want to be in relationship with, as crazy as it is, we, we are concerned about her and we love her. It's not just give me your, your child and let me raise it. There is a whole situation involved. And there is a birth mom who, uh, for whatever reason, has decided that she does not have what it takes to raise this kid. If we draw that line back to what Scripture just told us, that means that this world, the, uh, the people even closest to us who are not believers, man, they don't, they don't have what, believer, what, what every human being needs to live the life that God designed. So God creates a new, higher family 
to meet the needs, that God would meet needs through other people. If that blows your mind, then you see it rightly. If that doesn't blow your mind, then, then you're missing how God wants to use you in the family. And you're missing how God wants to use the person next to you for you. There's an adoption. The adoption in this room between us and our family is a picture of, of, of how God crafts us in and, and allows us to be part of a, a new, higher family. Um, in Matthew's account of this story, because in Luke's it just says, these are my brothers and sisters. We don't know who he's talking about. In Matthew, it kind of fills out the story, connects a couple more dots, and he's gesturing to his disciples. So Jesus, in that moment, is putting fishermen that he's only known for a matter of, of weeks, maybe months, above his mom. He's putting fishermen and tax collectors and sinners above his mom, or at least that's the impression, that's the point he's making. And that, that's, that's pretty insulting. One commentator mentions how you have to kind of feel for Mary because having known who Jesus was, and we get the sense again that she was, she was faithful to him, uh, and that she saw him as the Messiah and as her Lord, right? And she's guilty by association with all these comments and all the attitudes that the, and the actions the family has towards you. You have this, this, this sorrow. You kind of feel bad for Mary that she's kind of having to go along with it. Women literally didn't speak a whole lot. You could certainly speak to your son, but even just the cultural norm of, of women sharing their mind, it affected how, how much she was able to defend herself, very likely. And so you get the sense that she doesn't say what she wants to say, and that she has in her heart uh, a love for her son, that, that she's being badly represented by the rest of her family. Because she's going, man, I know he loves me. And, 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 you know, he ends his life, I think, making it make more sense. But, but here's the deal for us. This is a hard text because there's a line that we have to draw um, between the believers in our life uh, that through God have what we need as a, as a community and those that might be the closest in our life that we go, man, like we're, we're still loyal and committed and faithful to those people. But, but spiritually speaking, man, it's like, it's like, man, come join this family too. Like I, I want you as my biological and as my spiritual mom. There's a, there's a line that unfortunately, again, makes this text hard. Uh, here are three Ps. I think in alliterations, because I'm a preacher, and I, I think everything has to have the same letter, or it doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, even if I have to change the word, as long as it starts with the first letter, same first letter, I'm good. Uh, so here are three Ps to, to kind of unpack more of the spiritual family. First question is our position. How do we get into the spiritual family? Another verse that says the same thing, which is helpful to me. I read a verse here, and I want to read it here, here, and here. And I go, okay, like I see like a theme, a trend in Scripture that helps me make sense. Luke 11, I love this. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, your mom. Blessed is your mom. Now, if you, if you have any experience with any other religions or sects of Christianity, this might sound familiar to you. Blessed is the fruit of the womb, Mary, right? Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And it continues to uh, emphasize the fact that he was naturally born of, of this woman, Mary. And Jesus puts this person in their understanding of family in his place and says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Matthew Henry, a theologian, says, it is great comfort to all true Christians that they are dearer to Christ than mother, brother, or sister, as such merely as relations in the flesh would have been. So how do we get into the spiritual family? We trust Jesus. We follow Jesus. We're given the deposit of his second coming, which is the spirit, which binds us all together. That's how you get in the family. What do we do? What's the practice? So that's the, that's the position. How do I get a position 
in the family. You believe in Jesus. How do, I, how do I act? What's the practices of what we do? Acts 2 still says it best. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings, distributing proceeds to all as they had need. For, uh, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, worshiping together, breaking bread, going to lunch after church together in their homes, life group, receive food with glad and generous hearts. It goes on. God blessed that. So, so how do believers in the new spiritual family act? Well, we act like family. The natural biological family is a picture. It's a shadow of, a, of the higher family. So we're not left wondering. This is a revolutionary idea. It's just who we do family with. And the line is drawn between the heart that we have and the spirit that unites us. So, so how do we get in the family? We trust Jesus. What do we act like? What do we do? Well, we, we do life together. Uh, Ryan and I could tell you many stories, including a lot of you guys. Um, a, a couple of you guys have referenced that you're professional life groupers, okay? And I know JR has mentioned that a couple of you guys. It's the first thing we heard of you coming to our life group. coming to our, our life group. Why? Because we do life together in life groups. We have stories from previous churches. You've got stories here. And here's the deal. If you're a professional or you've, you've made a commitment to life groups, you've probably paid for something for somebody. You've probably helped somebody move, even when they didn't want it and feel like they were strong enough to carry everything up the stairs themselves. It's like, you know what? We're still coming over. We're still coming over. We, we bring meals whenever someone's sick, right? We meet for coffee and encourage someone or, or, or confront someone whenever they need that. Uh, we hang out together. We go to Mavs games and and we go to movies together. And all I'm saying is just reinforcing the idea that think of the best case scenario of a biological family times 10. And that's what you do as a spiritual family. You do life. No exceptions. No differences. It's just the fact that, that our, our family is now bigger. And we have the thing that makes us most in common. And that's a commitment to Jesus Christ. And what do we have to seal that? We have the spirit inside of us. I love this. Have you ever met a believer from a totally different side of the world? Anybody? ever met a believer from the other side of the city or the state or the country, there, there is an immediate connection, assuming your doctrine is like the same, right? Because that could be incredibly divisive, uh, and, and sometimes it should not be. Um, but I'll back up. There is an immediate connection between believers. I love that. I love, I, I met a, a, a Christian um, at a Global Peace uh, a coffee shop the other day. I was on, I was Anytime you have your Bible out, so I had my big NIV study Bible, it's like an encyclopedia, like that draws attention. Sometimes it's not the attention you want. But it drew her attention, and we talked a little bit. She was waiting for a drink. And, and that would have never happened to just any random person. We had a connection. We had a, 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 a familiarity with each other having never met before because she loved Jesus and I love Jesus and we're trying to follow Jesus as best we can. She probably has her church, her local church, but we're all same, part of the same capital C church. No, no other connection in the world has that. I look at a, a guy who, who uses a Mac, and I go, I feel like I know you. Okay? Um, I, I, I look at someone who's carrying a Starbucks drink, and I go, okay, I feel like I know you. We have, like, this spiritual bond, right? This caffeine bond is all it is. This addiction bond is all it is. But, but here's the deal. There, there's lots of... Um, affinities that we have, things we're interested in, with things that connect us. Uh, but man, so much deeper than that is a spiritual connection in a higher family that, that we experience through, through the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that, that recognizes the Spirit in other believers. It's a, it's a higher family. 
That's the position we have by believing. That's the practice we do. We just do family. We do it well. That's what we, that's what we, that's our, that's our expertise. It should be. Our expertise is doing family as people who have never met. I even thought about having everyone scoot in together, but I figured we're not there yet, but we'll get there. Uh, so that's the, that's the second P. I said there was three P's. The last P is the purpose. What's the purpose of having a spiritual family? The purpose is this. If you look at Luke 18, it says, uh, and he said to them, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who is left. I love this. This speaks to us this morning. This speaks to this text in Mark 3. There's no one who's left house or wife or brother or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. That's, a, that's the answer to the rich young ruler. How do I get eternal life? He said, give it all up and follow me. Sell it to those who need it. Looks like Acts 2. He goes, nope, too high a price. And he walks away. And Jesus is going, if you, just, if you trust me, get rid of it, follow me, you're, you're going to get more. Maybe not quantitatively, he said, if you trust me, you give it up, you follow me, you're, you're going to get more qualitatively. That's what we have guaranteed in this life, just so you know. As a believer, you don't, we don't have qualitative, quantitatively more guaranteed to us. That's a different kind of prosperity. We do have qualitatively more promised and guaranteed to us. That's prosperity, and that's the gospel, and that's, in, that's, that's what we are promised for those who, who believe um, and, and recognize that the framework of following Jesus is, is persecution. Um, we see the very first steps of Jesus' persecution in Mark 3. We see it disapproval of his family. Maybe that's where it starts. Maybe you felt disapproval from your family. The next step is betrayal. Jesus was betrayed by some people who just like conveniently followed him, uh, ate the, 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 the food that was multiplied miraculously. Wow, this guy's amazing. And a couple weeks later, they weren't in for, for all it cost them, so they kind of tailed off. And he was also betrayed by the people who were so close to him. Okay? Uh, we, we know him as Judas. Uh, poor guy, man. I, I feel sorry for Judas sometimes. He was used mightily by the devil uh, to... Um, to turn Jesus in and betray Jesus. And if I'm Jesus, uh, I know that needed to happen at some point, but man, I, I, you can imagine when he says, go and do quickly what you must do. You imagine Jesus' heart breaking because Judas was still close to Jesus. And he was betrayed by Judas. Uh, then it led to verbal abuse. Maybe you've been there too. Again, the framework of following Jesus is persecution. We can't ever forget that. That's our roots. That's where we come from. And ultimately, that's what we sign up for. It starts with disapproval. It leads to verbal abuse after betrayal. I'm sure there's layers in between. My point is it progresses. And with Jesus, it ended with bodily injury. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. But the point is... When we are willing to forsake even biological family, Jesus says, if you don't hate your mother and father, comparatively speaking, then you're not, you're not fit. And if, if we're careful, we don't hear the heart of Jesus that would say, like the baby bird in, in the nest, I want to bring you to a family that may not look like you. You can ask around and you would say, are you my mother? You don't look a thing like me. But there's, there's something that, you know, are you, are you part of my spiritual family? And if you'll notice, the, where did the bird have to go to find his family? Had to go up, right? The little crane thing had to intervene. And the bird had to go up to meet his family. And I would argue 
I would, I would discuss with P.D. Eastman. The bird didn't care what his mom looked like, but would be invited into a relationship with, with a bird that, or with a mom that happened to also be a, a bird. Here's the point. I think God's best for us is, is, a, is a biological mom who happens to also be a spiritual mom. And I think I would reverse that. That God would give me a, a spiritual mom that happened to also be my biological mom. How much of a blessing is that? Ryan and I went and saw the God is Dead movie last night. Um, go see it. Go support it. You'll love it. I think God is represented really well. And it's pretty well done. It's a great movie. Uh, that movie, without saying anything that would ruin it for you, because I think women, so you guys are going to see it soon. Um, go as a life group, go as a family, if your kids are of age. Um, I would say, and I'll read what I wrote instead of misremembering it. It paints a vivid picture of the need for, fa- for the family of God when the biological family is unsupportive. It also paints a very sacrificial uh, commitment. It shows the sacrificial commitment to the family of God when the biological family is flat out violent to Christianity. And we see stories of people, young and, and, and old in this movie, who unfortunately have to draw a line because the people in their life are not supportive and they're not believers. And, and they're harsh toward. And there's expectations of this world that they just can't roll with. Commitment to the church should be the cause of and ultimately the comfort from persecution. Let me say that again. Commitment to the church can be, and I would argue at some point will be, the cause of persecution, but the commitment to our church is also the comfort in persecution. Does that make sense? We draw the line. We're committed to Jesus and the spiritual family, which makes a lot of other people who may not understand feel offended, which brings persecution. The persecution we experience by drawing a line and not conceding to the world and its expectations and desires for us because we're going to look like Jesus. I'm going to preach the gospel in this room because people are circled up. I know that you want me to get out of here, family, biological family, but, but I'm on this earth for a reason. And, and once we draw the line, experience persecution, there's comfort in the, in the, in the church family um, from persecution as well. A believer's spiritual family becomes more natural than their biological family. It's a hard text. A believer's spiritual family becomes more natural than their biological families. For example, I've got a father who's not in my spiritual family, but he's, he's, on, he's in my biological family, so I'm, I'm, I want to be, I want to honor him, and I want to love him. And, and, and in a way, I don't treat him any differently because of this sermon. I, I just recognize that there is a higher, more real family now that I'm a part of. I don't have any biological brothers, but I've got, I've got a lot of brothers in Christ. A lot. I've got a mom um, as a spiritual mom that happens to be a biological mom. I've got other spiritual moms that have nothing to do with me biologically, haven't met me until the last few years. I've got, I've got a couple of spiritual uncles and aunts, man, that I would do anything for. I've got a spiritual nephew that has lived with me, and I would literally do anything for him. He's not related to me. But spiritually, man, he's, he's my nephew. He's too old to be my son. Doesn't like that. I don't have any daughters yet. But there's a, da- there's a girl in this church who does not have a dad like she needs and should have a dad. And it's my joy to be a spiritual dad to her. 
if the situation would ever arise, right? That's what we specialize in as a family. So the question is, are you my mother? Okay? I know you are. You guys, the rest of you, are you my brother? Are you my sister? Are you family? I'm talking a lot, and I do that a lot. I'm so sorry. I think there's three things to do. Not just ideas, but I want to end with something to do. First of all, our biological families are sacred. And in an age and time right now that they're being kind of watered down, and people don't know what the family is anymore, this is not diminishing the family just because we showed up this morning. The family still exists where it always has and should, and that is a sacred picture It's an imperfect but sacred picture of our heavenly family. Fathers, we take note of God the heavenly father, how he treats his kids, right? We're told to treat younger uh, daughters or younger girls as sisters. Girls our age, when you're a teenager, treat them as sisters. Young men, uh, women your age, treat them as sisters. The the, the biological family is sacred and should be fought for and should be preserved and protected however long we can to whatever extent uh, the Lord allows as things just kind of continue here, right? It, because it's sacred, it's, it's sacred because it's a picture of our beautiful, perfect heavenly family. It's an imperfect picture of that. That's why it's sacred. The universal church, if you don't have a vision of, of what we're, what we, all, all believers take communion. All believers get baptized, okay? These are symbolic pictures. These are the ordinances of our faith that connect and, and, and unite believers across the world, and I think to be a, a victorious, faithful follower of Jesus, we need a vision of, of the, the, this, uh, I, what I said was an inspirational perspective of this global universal church. And the, the last thing is the local church. We need to have an impactful partnership at the local church. Um, we have life groups. We have opportunities to serve and give your gifts. We, uh, we, we're about to take up a, uh, an offering or receive an offering uh, where we put offering, we put above and, 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 and over what God has given to us to support the ministry. As a family, we do business together. And through this building, this church, our staff, our leaders, many of you, God is doing work in our city and, and, and beyond our city. And so we take up an offering as a way to say, here's how we pitch in, here's how we do it together. So we're going to do that right now. And as Chris comes up and as the ushers prepare, here's my question is, are you my mother? Are you my brother? And if the Lord uh, is drawing you and, and he's, he's working on your heart to become a sister of mine or a spiritual mother, aunt, uh, a daughter, nephew, whatever, man, if that's you, I would encourage you to begin praying right now. God, how are you leading me to yourself? How are you drawing me into your family? Because here's what I believe. I say all that because I believe there's someone in this room, there are people in this room who you would say, man, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not related to you spiritually, Chad. And I would say, man, you're, you're here on a really good day to join the family of God universally and, man, plug into what God is doing locally and to experience life together with a new family.